Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our latest crime podcast. On July 25th, 1998, the Matsui celebrations were in full swing in Wakayama, Japan. There was folk music and dancing, religious processions, and best of all, unlimited food and alcohol. However, the festivities were suddenly interrupted when several party goers started feeling ill after having eaten some homemade curry. It looked like a case of food poisoning. Luckily, the police got involved in the incident and during the course of their investigation, they discovered something unlikely. It seemed that everything had been thought out and planned in advance by a resident from the area, an ordinary mother named Masumi Hayashi. She was 37 years old, she had a nice face and was a bit of a prankster, but it was hard to believe that she could have been responsible. Yet as they looked into her background, the investigators would find that they had more surprises in store. Please join us now to discover more about one of the most chilling news stories that rocked Japan and which the media had dubbed the Wakayama curry poisoning case. It was June 9, 2021. On the Skygate Bridge, which led to Kansai International Airport near the city of Osaka, a 37-year-old woman and her little 4-year-old daughter leaped to their deaths from the railing. Just a few minutes earlier, the mother had parked her car with her baby in her arms. She stayed there a few moments before jumping into the void and falling into the water. Their bodies were found by an emergency response team an hour after the tragedy. During the event, the Osaka police discovered that Kokoro Turusaki, 16 years old and the eldest daughter of the victim from the bridge, had also died the night before from her injuries in a hospital in the prefecture of Wakayama. For the investigators, the mother's desperate act seemed to make sense. She was unable to bear her daughter's death, and so she decided to take her own life by jumping off a bridge and taking her youngest daughter with her. It was only by digging deeper into the family history of their three victims that the police from Osaka were able to find out that they were respectively the daughters and the two granddaughters of someone named Masumi Hayashi, who is currently on death row for a case that has been making the headlines within the country for a long time. The mere mention of the name gave the police officers chills and brought back several unpleasant memories, in particular from 1998, a summer that started off so well. But before getting into the case, let's take a trip back to the early 1960s. Matsumi Hayashi was born on July 2, 1961, in the small coastal town of Arita in the Wakayama prefecture. As the only girl in a family of boys, her mother introduced her to household work at a very young age, and so, when she was only 12, Masumi already knew how to make a few traditional dishes and many household chores without supervision. Masumi's mother wanted to eventually turn her into a perfect wife and an excellent cook. 
to essential qualities in a model Japanese household. Masumi's parents were good providers and earned a fairly decent living. The family was part of the lower middle class, but they did not flaunt their possessions. In fact, her parents were discreet, hard-working people who merely looked after their own affairs and stayed out of their neighbor's business. Masumi and her brothers grew up with parents who instilled in them the value of work, honesty, and material success. From a very young age, Masumi proved to be quite lively, cheerful, and dynamic. She was very sociable and had many friends in the neighborhood. Always smiling and naturally commanding, she quickly took on the role of leader in any game. In school, she distinguished herself with her good grades, but her real passion was for the piano. In fact, she played quite well and dreamt of making it her career. After classes and on weekends, she sometimes organized little private concerts to the delight of her family and friends. Masumi therefore had a typical childhood just like any other Japanese girl of her generation. She was already thinking about having a successful marriage, ideally with an important wealthy man. Upon starting middle school when she was a teenager, the young girl also began to develop a genuine passion for sports, basketball, volleyball, and tennis. She wanted to play them all. During training, she was always the one to take over as the leader of her team. She ordered the other girls around with alarming ease and authority that not even the physical education teachers possessed. But most importantly, Masumi was also a sore loser. Her friends would remember a sports tournament organized in Kobe in which their school had participated. During the award ceremonies, Masumi flew into a raid when she learned that her volleyball team had won second place. Without considering anyone else, she completely lost her cool and began heaping insults on her teammates, accusing the jury of rigging the scores and even smashing the winning team's cup against a wall. As a result, she was excluded from the next tournament. The incident had left a lasting impression, and now she was no longer the friendly, outgoing girl that everyone liked. Those who knew her well believed that, in spite of everything, she was still the most devout friend there ever was, as long as competition was not at stake, which would turn her into the worst opponent imaginable. Once middle school was over, Masumi then went on to high school in Wakayama. Though she was now a bit more mature, she nevertheless held on to her qualities as a leader. In terms of her schoolwork, her teachers were quite pleased with her grades and encouraged her spirit of competition. She was still very passionate about sports and soon took over as the head of student association and the volleyball club. During physical education classes, she could be heard screaming from the bleachers, growling, yelling over the teachers, and true to her nature, harassing and ordering around and reprimanding the stragglers and those in her opinion weren't pulling their weight. As for her romantic life, many boys began to express an interest in her, but to her great dismay, she never paid them any attention. Her masculine ideal was personified by the male Japanese movie stars of the day about whom she often fantasized. However, Matsumi was not what one might consider a pretty girl, but her charisma, her leadership, and her enthusiasm still impressed many men. More than anything, she wanted to fulfill her mother's expectations. She dreamt of having a very beautiful wedding one day in her near future. She already had her soulmate chosen. He would be handsome, tall, and dashing like the actor Ken Watanabe, who was a blend of virility and sensitivity. During her last years of school, Masumi went directly home after her preparatory classes. 
One evening, she found her father in the company of a man she did not know and had never seen before. From that kitchen, she could hear her mother's muffled footstep as she darted from the gas stove to the oven to make the tea. She was wearing a ceremonial kimono, which was a sign that they were receiving a very important visitor. Her father and his guests were sitting cross-legged on the floor. Their western clothing made such a position somewhat uncomfortable. She looked across at the table. It was overflowing with food, bowls of noodles that were already empty, as well as bottles of beer and sake. Her father's cheeks were flushed and his guest's face were even redder, meaning that they were long past their first glass. Masumi, come here. I want to introduce you to Kenji-san, my new colleague from work, said her father in a drawling voice as he extended his arm in her direction. As a sign of respect, the man straightened himself up a bit, adjusted himself and bowed his head to greet her, to which she responded with the same reverential gesture. Kenji-san was handsome, she thought, with his black hair that looked like cat fur, his small narrow forehead, his eyes set back under dark circles, his slightly protruding teeth, his squat body, and his lifeless arms. He looked nothing like Ken Watabe. He must have been at least 48 years old or possibly even older than her father. Hayashi Kenji was a successful businessman on the rise. He was 36 years old and originally from Osaka. At the time, he was already married and the father of two children. Hayashi Kenji was far from being a faithful husband and he had a weakness for pretty young girls. To keep his wife from asking questions about his coming and goings, he gave her all the money she wanted and made sure that she never lacked anything. The sight of Masumi in her high school uniform, with her rosy red cheeks and her bob hair cut framing her face, made quite an impression on the 30-something man, even though he tried his best to hide it. In hopes of seeing her again, he began stopping by often at his co-worker's home, whether he was invited for dinner or not. Usually, this would have been a breach of Japanese etiquette, but his cheerful demeanor and the expensive presentations that he brought with him at each visit were enough to excuse his behavior. Masumi too started to enjoy Kenji-san's impromptu visits. Yet, whenever he saw her, he became increasingly uncomfortable and tried to avoid her gaze for fear of seeing what he felt reflected back at him. Yes, Hayashi Kenji was in love with the young girl, an experienced girl, and the feelings was mutual. Soon, a sexual tension developed between them, and that was so intense that they both feared giving into temptation. Her infatuation for movie stars was long forgotten. The future graduate now only had eyes for this middle-aged man who wasn't really attractive, but who had come to represent the image of the perfect man. At night before she went to bed, Masumi would dream of being kissed and hugged by this man. She already fantasized about escaping through the window without her parents knowing and then fleeing with him in his car. With the greatest secrecy, the businessman and the high school girl began exchanging romantic letters, passionate poems, and gifts. This relationship grew more and more serious, but the couple were forced to keep it all clandestine for fear of being discovered by the teenager's parents or even worse, by Kenji's wife. In her innocence, Masumi started thinking about her older lover as if he were God. She was unaware, however, that he had a six-year prison sentence, five of which were suspended and one spent in jail for various insurance camps. In 1980, just when she was preparing to start nursing school, Masumi confessed everything to her mother. She was only 19 years old at the time in which Japan made her a minor. Soon, word got out and her father learned of the affair. 
creating the scandal that they had dreaded for so long. However, the couple felt relieved that things had come out into the open. Yet, he was the only one who seemed to feel that way because all around him, there was nothing but scathing criticism and disapproval. As a result of their affair, Hayashi Kenji separated from his wife and left the family home. As for Masumi's parents, they took a dim view on the relationship and vehemently opposed it from the very beginning. They even refused to give their blessings to their daughter, which would have been essential for her marriage to Hayashi Kenji. But Masumi was very much in love and true to her impulsive nature, she didn't care about anyone else's opinions and said what she felt aloud and clear, which sent her mother into a nervous breakdown. After falling out with his future father-in-law and his reputation as a ladies' man and the news of his recent divorce reached everyone at the office, Hayashi Kenji decided to leave the insurance industry. He then became a business owner and produced insecticide for exterminating termites. He invested in a massive publicity campaign based on flashy flyers which extolled the virtues of the product. Because he was clever, somewhat of a hustler, and because he never robbed anyone in the wrong way, he managed to get several contracts and soon earned significant profits, enough to get back into the good graces of his sweetheart's parents, who eventually, whether they liked it or not, had to grant him their daughter's hand in marriage. In 1982, Masumi and Kenji were officially married in a civil ceremony followed by a religious one. The marriage was celebrated with much pomp in a temple in Osaka. In the presence of several guests, including old business leaders in the region, not to mention relatives and family. The bride, who was charming in her luxurious kimono, and her husband, who looked somewhat awkward in black suit, bowed to everyone. Although she was discovering the joys of marriage for the first time in her life, he was already on his third. In Japan, newlyweds were barely allowed to touch each other's arms during the ceremony, let alone kiss in front of everyone. Masumi and Kenji therefore had to stay a good distance away from each other and anxiously awaited their night to come to make up for the lost time. The couple moved into a lovely house in the same neighborhood as the bride's parents, so Masumi only had to walk a couple of streets if she wanted to visit her mother's kitchen for some gossip or to learn some new recipes, soups or desserts in order to appease her beloved husband's gastronomic appetite. Despite the exorbitant alimony that Kenji's ex-wife demanded, Mostly for revenge, the couple led a very comfortable lifestyle. Hayashi Kenji was a generous man who spent money freely. His young wife, who was just as much of a spendthrift as his ex, definitely enjoyed his generosity and did nothing to discourage it. Quite the contrary. They both loved having people at their homes and soon developed a very rich social life. They were always inviting Kenji's colleagues to dinner or on a picnic and they themselves were invited to the best homes all over Osaka, Tokyo and Wakayama. Masumi was an unrivaled homemaker. Like any good Japanese wife, she took an overall household chores by herself even if she had more than enough means to pay for the services of a maid. In 1984, Masumi gave birth to her first child, a little girl whom her father named Mayoko. Two years later, they had a second child, a boy this time named Ryotaro. Masumi devoted herself completely to her role as a mother. She was very close to and very protective of her children. She now knew every mother in her neighborhood, those who were young and not so young. She also regularly visited those children the same age as their own. Masumi and Kenji's life together was very thrilling despite the huge difference in their ages. She was very considerate of him. 
She was a helpful woman who never made a fuss about things. She even removed his shoes and socks when he got home from work and massaged his toes when they became numb from standing in the subway for two hours. Kenji traveled frequently on business and left his wife to take care of everything while he was away, but it didn't matter because she was good at it. When he got home, it was like Santa Claus had arrived because his arms were full of gifts for the kids. As for his beloved wife, it was nothing but French perfume and diamond jewelry. In keeping with Japanese customs, the neighbors also benefited from his generosity, and Masumi was responsible for handing out packages of tea, sake, candy, greeting cards, and other gifts throughout the neighborhood. Yet Hayashi Kenji didn't tell his wife everything. The business was not going quite as well as it had before, and it became increasingly difficult for him to pay his monthly bills. Recently, he couldn't even meet the payroll of his staff. This prompted him to dismiss many of them, but nevertheless, he still gave them glowing letters of recommendations filled with compliments so that they might quickly get hired somewhere else. Overcome by pride, he refused to change his lifestyle or his family's. Masumi, who was unaware of how badly things were going, continued to spend money lavishly. She bought expensive things and took the children to lunch at restaurants at every Saturday. Soon Kenji ran out of money and his company was drowning in debt. Finally, in 1990, he declared bankruptcy. After all the many years that he spent working and building up his fortune, the former business owner was left with nothing. Supported by his wife, who surprisingly took it all rather well, Kenji moved his family into subsidized housing. Masumi decided to find a job to help with the daily expenses and was hired part-time in a cafe bakery as a waitress. Kenji, who remained unemployed since his business, went bankrupt, started drinking more and more and going to casinos. Occasionally, he would win a large sum of money, but mostly he lost. Soon he began to rely on the money that his wife earned, which was supposed to support the family. His wife didn't seem to mind as she recalled the happier times when Kenji spoiled her like a little girl and never refused any of her whims. Kenji was a violent alcoholic who quickly turned into a domestic tyrant as a result of the frustration brought on by the disastrous financial situation in which he had fallen. He often came home from the casino drunk with his pockets empty. At those times, his favorite thing to do was to beat Masumi and accuse her of stealing. Neighbors regularly heard about the domestic violence that was going on, but no one ever intervened to make it stop. Masumi simply took the blows and didn't fight back. Kenji was the man of her dreams, the father of the children, and the love of her life whom she married despite everyone else's objection. It would have been cowardly of her to abandon him during a crisis like this. Besides, couples were meant to confront hard times like these and not to split up over the slightest little problem. To explain the bruises on her face to her disbelieving co-workers, Masumi told them that it was simply due to her bedroom door, which violently slammed shut on her because of a gust of wind or even because she slipped and fell down the stairs. This was around the same time that a new law had been passed concerning compensation for victims involved in accidents, fires and other non-natural disasters. Kenji rubbed his hands together gleefully. The opportunity to take advantage of this new law was now or never. His first insurance scam took place in a suburb of Osaka. As he rode his motorcycle, Hayashi Kenji chose his prey, a beautiful luxury car towards which he rushed at full speed before hitting it. The former business owner played dead, screamed out in pain and claimed that he had fractured at least an arm and leg 
and made such a ruckus that the driver decided to pay him without taking the matters to court in order to avoid a scandal. In Japan, many cases are settled amicably between the two parties in the interest of discretion and out of fear of scandal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. But Kenji didn't stop there. Using the support of witness statements from those who were there, he told the police that the driver of the car had violently struck him before taking off. In the end, he was awarded 20 million yen, some of which he brought home in cash, and presented to his wife as it were a trophy. Exhilarated by this law, an illegal source of income, he decided to try it again using the same cunning method that he was famous for and still managed to get away with it without arousing the least suspicion. He finally confessed his new ploy to Masumi. Surprisingly, she didn't find the idea all that bad and soon she started doing it too, even surpassing him in terms of trickery. That was when, on a beautiful spring day, Masumi decided to go to an asen, natural hot water baths, which were very popular in Japan. After taking her steam bath, she noticed blisters forming on her feet, and right away, she had an idea. After grabbing a bicycle and having already spotted her victims, she headed straight for a barbecue that a family was setting up in a park. Pretending that she had lost control, Masumi struck the burning appliance and sparks flew everywhere and she started to scream at the top of her lungs. The family, who apologized profusely, decided to compensate her, but Masumi's greed knew no bounds. The victim's compensation fund awarded her an additional 5 million yen, what seemed to satisfy her. In the interim, Kenji and Masumi had two other children, twins, a boy and a girl. Now wealthy from their ill-gotten gains from insurance fraud, they purchased a large 400-square-meter villa and moved into the Sanobe area in the Wakayama prefecture. Not content to merely double or even triple their wealth, they were constantly keeping themselves up to date on anything concerning to victim compensation. That was how they discovered that it was now possible to file a lawsuit against a restaurant in which a person had eaten and then become ill. The couple rubbed their hands together gleefully. This was a golden opportunity to not be missed. 
Masumi had studied nursing and she knew all about chemical substances and the fatal overdose of certain products in case of an overdose. As for her husband, he had worked for many years in the insecticide industry and still had a whole shipment of arsenic in his garage, with arsenic being one of the base ingredients in producing insecticides. And so, risking their very lives, they swallowed doses of arsenic during their many takeout meals they ordered. They poisoned themselves, were admitted to the hospital, and won their case which forced the restaurants to close its doors for good. Masumi and Kenji even filed a lawsuit against the National Water Company after traces of poison had been found in the drinking water. With this new trial came new compensations in the amount of 100 million yen. With this new, almost suicidal but cleverly thought-out scheme, they managed to embezzle the sum of 130 million yen, which was the equivalent of more than 1 million euros. With this money, the couple was completely able to pay off the mortgage on their new home, open savings account for their children, and make several purchases including two luxury cars, as well as some major renovations in their villa. The downside to all of this was that Kenji developed polyneuropathy a disease that attacks the nervous system and was contracted as a result of all the poisons which had been his main source of income. He grew weaker, became increasingly thinner, and now could only walk with the help of a cane. Like a caregiver, his wife stood constantly by his side while affectionately holding his arm and being attentive to his every need. It was around the same time that Masumi's mother died of a stroke and left her daughter an insurance policy worth 140 million yen. Masumi cried her eyes out during the funeral, but in reality, was merely waiting for the moment when she could collect her check. The Hayashis had become used to making easy money and weren't ashamed to show off their success. Now that they were living a life of leisure and were set up for the rest of their lives, they spent most of their time educating their four children and trying to integrate into the Sonobe neighborhood. Sonobe, unlike other big cities teeming with people where everyone lived in the fast lane, was more like a small, organized village where everyone knew each other and were neighbors that helped each other out. One person might take another's kid to school and someone else's might pick them up. A neighbor might even trim the hedges off a senior and another would bake cake for everyone. In Sonobe, everyone knew their next-door neighbor's secrets and the walls had yours. When the pair of social climbers from Arita moved into the biggest and most luxurious house in the neighborhood, it immediately caused a sensation and got people gossiping. The main reason for all the chatter was certainly the huge age difference between Masumi and Kenji. She was 36 and he was 57, but also the way they shamelessly flaunted their wealth. Their four children were well-dressed in the latest fashions, they shopped compulsively, and bricklayers were always at their home to knock down a wall to expand a room, install a state-of-the-art American kitchen or a flashy Italian fountain. All of these things immediately stood out in this middle-class community, where discretion and simplicity were a way of life. The sight of slightly overweight, chatty, and always laughing Masumi in the company of his gloomy, wise and older men leaning on his cane, did not go unnoticed. Residents of the neighborhood couldn't help but imagine that this unusual and unmatched couple must certainly be hiding something. Keenly aware of these suspicions and wanting to get into their neighbor's good graces, Masumi made friends with them and bought them gifts, which they reluctantly accepted. They removed any shadow of a doubt concerning their lifestyle, which was higher than the average. She told anyone who would listen to her husband who had received a very substantial inheritance from his father and that his retirement pension was very generous.
That was why they were able to buy this house. Previously, they could only afford to live in a shabby rental or staff house. The neighbors had difficulty believing the story. Despite their efforts to try to fit in their new neighborhood, the Hayashis felt cut off from social life. As a result, neither they nor their children were invited anywhere. No matter what the occasion, birthday parties, neighbors' day celebrations, or spring festivities, Soon, the neighbors' suspicions gave way to animosity, which had gotten worse since yet another rumor about the Hayashi family had begun to circulate. In fact, for quite some time now, it had been speculated an investigation had opened concerning the life insurance that Masumi's mother had left her. Contrary to what her daughter claimed, it wasn't an inheritance but the result of an unsavory fraud. To make matters worse, two of the Kenji's former friend who were both in their 60s and who were invited to his house for dinner accused the couple of trying to poison them with arsenic in order to collect on their life insurance policies, which were worth millions of yen. Quickly like an oil stain, the rumor about the failed murder attempt began to spread throughout Sanobe. While the neighbors continued to greet Masumi and Kenji when they saw them, it was only a charade. Deep down, most of them had already tied and convicted them in their own minds. The couple's children were not spared from any of this, and they suffered a great deal because of the situation. At school, Moyoko, the eldest daughter, suffered in silence upon hearing all the cruel nicknames and tasteless jokes about her parents. Her brothers, on the other hand, reacted more violently and frequently came to blows to defend their mother's honor when she was accused of being the mistress of the crippled old man. Basically, as one might imagine, the Hayashi became social outcasts, and in Sono Bay, they were only known as the strange family from the villa. It was now July 1998, after the spring festivities, which were spread out over almost three months. The cherry blossom kimonos had barely been put back into the closet for the next year when the Matsuri summer festivities were already fast approaching. That year, people were celebrating Shinto, the god of the sea. In every Japanese town, people were already preparing for the festivities, which would last until the end of the month. Little girls were all dressed in their best finery, and greeting cards that were meant to bring good fortune and happiness were available in all the shops. Traditional music was played late into the night, and families who rarely had the chance to see each other visit daily. Apprentice Jishas, who came by train from Tokyo amazed the residents of Wakayama with their luxurious kimonos, and their platform flip-flops as they made their way through maze of streets like visions of the past. Time seemed to move more slowly and since it happened so rarely in Japan, everyone wanted to make the most of this time for relaxation. The Matsuri festival automatically meant great food and for a month, the village turned into a massive working buffet from early in the morning until late at night. It was a land of milk and honey where every kind of culinary excess was allowed. Usually, the food stands were the responsibility of the festival organizers, who called on the services of professionals every year. There were many popular items on the menu. Okonomiyaki, udons, dumplings, barbecued meat, ramen, and other mochis with sweet bean paste to top it off and everything that was washed down with a lot of beer and sake. In Sonobe, the excitement was at its peak. The mayor had just announced that anyone who wanted to help out with the cooking and lend a hand to the overworked caterers would receive nominal compensation. Masumi was an outstanding cook and her husband bragged all the time about her culinary talents. She put her name down on the list of volunteers for the evening service stands. 
On the day of July 25, 1998, everything was going well. Early in the morning, the whole community took part in the religious procession for the festival's closing ceremony, which was followed by a mass Buddhist prayer. At 1 p.m., during lunch, traditional music groups began playing back-to-back on the stage that had been set up in the town square. At 3 p.m., dressed in her apron, Masumi Hayashi left her husband and her children who were staying with her neighbors and went back home to start working. A gargantuan task awaited her. In her large garage, she began setting up the butane gas cookers for preparing the curry for that evening. Japanese curry was a dish enjoyed by one and all without exception. It was a stew that looks like gravy, thick and mild that simmers gently in huge pots for hours. The whole secret lies in its cooking. The longer the curry cooks, the creamier it will be. At 4 p.m., the first festival goers who were starving after a long day of non-stop celebrations began gathering around the trestle tables after having visited the countless self-service food stands. With their disposable plates overflowing the delicious-smelling, colorful food, everyone dug into their chopstick enthusiastically. At 5 p.m., it was now time to try some of the recipes made by the residents of Sonobe. Mrs. Hayashi's curry arrived in three massive pots covered in aluminum foil, and she began serving it to everyone in attendance. The stew was a hit, and everybody licked their lips, and many were served a second helping because they thought it was excellent, with just the right amount of seasoning. I slipped into chocolate squares while it was cooking, announced Masumi as she laughed. She was much too modest to give away any of her culinary secrets. I usually use honey, but the next time I'll try it with chocolate. What a great idea, said one tourist from Tokyo. At around 6 p.m., while the waiters began clearing the tables to set up the evening service, a few people in the crowd started to panic. Many of them felt ill and started showing some serious symptoms of indigestion. About 20 of the festival attendees, including several teenagers, began to come down with headaches, dizziness, nausea, and convulsions. One of the organizers caught on quickly that those had been affected by this mysterious illness had eaten the curry. He leaped up on stage, grabbed the microphone, and ordered everyone to stop eating it. There is something wrong! Stop eating the curry! The mayor, who had gone home in the interim to rest, was urgently called back by one of his staff. Upon his arrival, he was greeted by a catastrophe. The portable toilets had been specifically set up for the festival, had been taken by storm, and those who couldn't wait their turn vomited directly on the ground, unable to stand up breathing in the agony. Ambulances from the hospitals in Wakayama were alerted to the disaster by the panicked mayor, and they immediately rushed to the scene, making their way as best as they could through the convulsing victims lying on the cement or the grass. More than 60 people were brought to the emergency ward. Two adults, including the president of the Sanobe Residents Association, as well as a woman in her 50s, who were also from Sanobe, and two other children between the ages of 9 and 13, died in the intensive care unit. Fortunately, those who survived were immediately taken care of by emergency doctors. They all had to have their stomachs pumped and had to receive anti-poison injections, thus allowing them to get through the ordeal relatively unscathed, even though some of them would still face long-term consequences. All that remained now was to find out who could have been responsible for this terrible incident. What had initially seemed like a bad case of indigestion or ordinary food poisoning now began to appear more sinister. Later that evening, the police arrived on the scene. Now, it was a matter of tracing the source of the problem. 
At first, the caterers were suspected and they were all taken to Osaka police station to be questioned. The crowd was ordered not to touch any utensils that had been in contact with food or even the contents of the trash cans pending forensic analysis. At 8 p.m., the forensic police arrived on site, began their investigation. In total, close to 2,000 utensils and as many frying pans were seized as well as cooking instruments, bottles of frying oil, soy sauce and mayonnaise. They also took away the pots in which the curry had been cooked as well as all the plastic plates on which they had been served. After that, the police collected samples of the victim's vomit. At the hospital in Wakayama, where the survivors were still under observation, blood, saliva and urine samples were collected to be sent to the toxicology center. The next day, the preliminary results were made public. The reports were conclusive. The pots and all the plates with the leftover curry contained enough arsenic to kill around 1,400 people. It was pure carnage. A police brigade now remained at the scene to begin investigating the community service for the area. Containers of pesticides that were usually used to maintain gardens and parks were themselves taken away for thorough analysis. In the course of the investigation, a resident from Sono Bay informed the police that their neighbor Hayashi Kenji was keeping significant quantities of insecticide in his garage, some of which was even carefully stored in a municipal building and was supposed to be used to treat the surrounding agricultural land. The word soon got out, putting the Hayashi family back in the spotlight and reignite old grudges. This information was also echoed in the Japanese press in what would come to be known as Wakayama arsenic poisonings. Every day, the Hayashi's house was besieged by a swarm of reporters who were eager for comments on the matter and who hoped to interview the couple. National television cameras were only able to film a laughing, joking Masumi Hayashi, who kept reporters away with her gardening hose as she delivered wisecracks at them. From her front doorstep, she claimed that neither she nor her husband had anything to do with these poisonings and that the police efforts would be better spent trying to find the real culprits who were still at large. But this was no laughing matter, and soon eyewitnesses emerged out of nowhere and one by one went to the police headquarters in Osaka. They all swore that they had seen Masumi Hayashi on the day of the incident, coming and going in her lumbering gait and looking busy and anxious. She had a flask or a bottle in her hand that she repeatedly emptied into the curry. The news immediately reached the police, who then began to take a bit more interest in the couple, who were not as friendly and innocent as they appeared. Just to be certain, the police took a sample of the substance from Kenji's shipment of insecticide in the municipal building. That, along with other samples of blood and vomit from the victims, was sent to the National Toxicology Center in Tokyo for analysis in the hopes of uncovering any similarities, which was exactly what happened. The substance was exactly the same. On October 4, 1998, the Hayashis were arrested at their home and taken away to be questioned. Television cameras from many different stations rebroadcasted the arrest of this unusual couple made up of an even-tempered, chubby woman and an hunched-over old man who walked laboriously with his cane and hid his face under his cap. Neither one of them admitted their guilt. In her defense, Masumi protested. On July 25th, four people died after having eaten poisoned curry during the festival organized in my neighborhood. I prepared the curry, but I had nothing to do with the poisoning. The arsenic found at our house was used by my husband as part of his work, but there is no connection whatsoever with what happened. We've become the media's favorite target. Reporters have harassed me and my kids. We're at the end of our show for today. 
So feel free to listen to the other shows on the podcast and take five seconds to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's really important to us. You can also subscribe to the next episodes and follow us on Facebook to suggest new ones. Thank you and see you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.